How do I maximize my returns and minimize my fees? That's one of the eternal questions limited partners face, and it's what we'll be exploring on this edition of Spotlight. I'm Andrew Headland with Private Debt Investor. Concerns about fees are widespread in private markets investing. Our 2019 PEI Perspective Survey gauged LP's temperature on a range of issues in alternative assets. More than 6 out of 10 respondents said it was difficult to justify private equity fund fees to their colleagues. So what's an LP to do? The answer for many has been something akin to direct investing, though short of originating their own deals. Some LPs have tied their fates to specific general partners. The South Carolina Retirement System teamed up with Barings BDC to invest in corporate and real estate credit. South Carolina followed the likes of the University of California, which has a joint venture with Owl Rock Capital Corporation and previously with Goldman Sachs BDC. But many have turned to co-investments. These positions have become a staple of private equity and are gaining traction in private credit. Last year, the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation set up a $1 billion direct credit investment program, which included $500 million for co-investments. There are upsides for both GPs and LPs on this subject. With co-investments, managers gain one advantage that is so important in private credit today. Deeper pockets. GPs are seeing LPs as truly as partners. That's Todd Trabaco, Managing Director at LP Advisor Cambridge Associates. And in the credit space, a lot of times you need to speak for a lot of capital. You need to have a lot of liquidity. If you're a distressed player that provides liquidity, you know, you're going to need deeper pockets. If you're a direct lender and you're doing sponsor finance, it's beneficial to have additional capital that you can deploy in order to avoid syndication risk. One such firm that has taken advantage of this is the Carlyle Group. The firm closed its debut Carlyle Credit Opportunities Fund earlier this summer on $2.4 billion, which, with leverage, will have $3.1 billion of deployable capital. As of its final close in July, the fund had invested more than $1.3 billion. Of that, $850 million came from the commingled fund. The remaining $450 million came from co-investments. Several things drive the division of fund capital and co-investment capital, according to Carlisle's Alex Popoff, who oversees the Credit Opportunities Fund. We need to invest the optimal amount of capital in each transaction for the fund to make sure we manage diversification by name, diversification by industry, sector, exposure, etc. If the transaction is larger, and typically there are, that means that there is ability to bring co-investors. Then the next step is which co-investors are interested in what size, in which sector, timelines, certain co-investors are willing to work on a very short timeline. Certain investors need to take uh, to do their due diligence and take longer time to do that. After the investors have been identified comes the corralling of the LPs. I would say there are typically two types of processes that involve LP co-invest. Process one is where the GP is comfortable making a commitment for a larger than its optimal hold size. So, for example, if we want to hold 100 million of a certain exposure in the fund and the transaction is 150 or 175, we feel comfortable that we will be able to bring co-investors post-closing in the transaction. Some transactions are 
very short in, in their time frame of how they develop from start to finish. And we may not be able to work with LPs side by side to bring them at closing. So in that case, we commit to the entire transaction and between closing, between signing and closing of the deal, we would reach out to our LPs and basically download all the work we have done to our LPs, walk them through it, help them through their processes, depending. Some, some LPs are able to work within a week, some need a longer process and have more scheduled investment committees. Process two are the longer tail transactions that we may have been developing for quite some time. We have exclusivity, we have three months to finish our due diligence, and it's a significantly larger investment than we're comfortable holding ourselves. In that process, we would actually reach out to our LPs and work with them side by side during our due diligence process and come up to a joint commitment. And that resource, time, can be a decisive factor. In our Perspectives Investor Survey this year, LP said speed was the biggest hindrance to participating in co-investments. Cambridge's Trabaco explains. The time crunch can be real, right? It can be very real. And, you know, one of the things we do in the, in the, or the co-investment team does at Cambridge is try to compress that and help our clients really be able to digest all the information in a way that we know fits or we think fits their investment lens. So there's ways around that. There's ways to actually make it more digestible. We try to help with that. But the crunch can be real. While GPs get the ability to write bigger checks, one of the most attractive points for investors can be the fees, or lack thereof, associated with co-investing. LPs like it because it's a great way to get a reduced fee or no fee and no carry at times. On the credit side, we, we, we try to negotiate no fee, no carry. We don't always succeed. From what I've seen, it's GP-specific. So GPs will say, yep, free co-investment, no carry, no management. Others will say, oh, no, no, we'll, you know, we're going to charge you on that uh, as well. The no-fee, no-carry model is part of Carlisle's MO, Popov says. This varies by GP, and uh, is, there's no standard to it, if you will. For Carlisle and for Carlisle Credit Opportunities particularly, LPs of the fund or LPs of the Carlisle Global Credit Platform, we typically that co-invest, we do not charge fees. That's sort of a benefit for both for Carlisle as well as for the LPs. However, non-LPs that may be shown co-invest opportunities because of other relationships or potentially they're becoming or considering becoming LPs in the future, they may be charged certain economics. Reduced fees or no-fee investments have significance beyond the LP keeping more of the profits. In some corners of the U.S., there's been a fierce backlash against private equity and the fees associated with the asset class. Look no further than Democratic presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's legislation titled the Stop Wall Street Looting Act. It's aimed at making the buyout model fundamentally unfeasible. In the U.S., the two largest Pennsylvania state retirement plans, one that serves public school employees and the other that serves state employees, have been looking for ways to reduce fees. At the end of 2018, the funds put forward their own plans which included putting a greater emphasis on co-investments. In addition, multiple other U.S. pension plans have retained advisory firms to validate the fees that they are being charged, as Private Equity International has reported. David Shane, a Carvel Investors veteran that founded Kennedy Lewis Investment Management, explained that offering reduced fees, or even no fees, nets both the GP and LP a good deal. 
from our standpoint, we offer co-invest to our investors at um, substantially reduced fees. In some cases, it's even zero um, because we feel that the value that we get out of you know driving a more concentrated, longer-term relationship with an LP and our ability to negotiate terms and, and be larger and drive a better uh, investment outcome through structure or terms well outweighs the opportunity for us to you know increase fees um, or our overall fee base. One of the things that we did in early days in our fund was to offer co-invest for free for you know investors in well our first time fund but but effectively what we call our you know our first class of investors that came in our founders class if you will co-investments can be structured in several ways in credit they sometimes end up in a pool reserved for co-investments uh, mainly in the direct lending side we've seen co-investment vehicles or programs where you commit to a fund you commit an amount of money 100 million bucks Maybe $50 million goes to the GPLP, and maybe the balance goes to co-investment, right? That's on the kind of high-volume type of, of credit. Kennedy Lewis's Shane notes that his firm has taken such an approach. You know, we have regulatory compliance requirements that we we need to satisfy every time we do a, a co-invest and making sure that we offer it to, you know, everybody within our founders class per our documents. So that typically requires us having to set up a dedicated sidecar vehicle that investors, per their commitment in the founders class or that early class of investors for our first fund, they effectively will express what level of capital they want to commit into that co-invest vehicle and then it, it effectively gets allocated pro rata so you know per their commitment in the in, in the fund so it's a relatively technical exercise to um, make sure that it gets done properly but for the most part it is a dedicated vehicle you know it's not an ad hoc process we want to make sure that we per the terms of our documentation give everybody the proper exposure to that investment the approach differs in other strategies though like private equity cambridge's trabaco says the other strategies that, that that we look at they tend to be more offered right so gps will come in and say you know we're raising this fund this is our strategy this is our net return these are our fees and we offer a lot of co-investment so they don't raise a separate vehicle. They just have a, a bench of LPs that they can go to that are interested in co-investment, and they tap them as needed. But one of the biggest advantages of co-investments is not so much a dollars and cents proposition. While intangible, it could lead to better investment decisions and the avoidance of losses down the road. That is, LPs can understand the GP's approach as the investors work with the managers on specific credits. Crucial questions can be answered. Does my risk tolerance match the GP's investment approach? Would this person be a good long-term steward of my capital? It's another way of getting into the brain of the GP to see how they think, right? That's occasionally overlooked as a meaningful tool. And then just the general benefit of co-investment, how, how you can use it to enhance your portfolio returns. If you do it on the right terms, it can be very beneficial. And, you know, it's a great way to, to tilt your risk and, and enhance performance. And I think that that gets, occasionally gets overlooked. This was something that Popov's team used as it was raising the firm's opportunistic fund. And it was very applicable, particularly for our Carla Credit Opportunities Fund, where we started raising the fund and we had a first close with some very high-profile institutional investors. And we proceeded on investing capital alongside raising capital from further LPs. And in many of those situations, we needed to leverage the ability to bring LPs into the fund in order to do properly sized transactions early on. 
We were targeting a fund two to three billion dollars. Our first close was close to a billion. We didn't want to overstretch, if you will, on early transactions and be less diversified. And we started discussing co-invest opportunities not only with our existing LPs, but also with prospective LPs that were working on closing into the fund. From their perspective, that was actually very interesting because they got to see how the team operates, how we underwrite transactions, how we structure transactions. They got to interact with the team uh, on a day-to-day basis to see really the value that the Carlyle platform brings from sourcing transactions to underwriting them to structuring the deal in terms of documentation. It's a very good way to do their due diligence on a fund. What does this all mean for GPs and LPs? Well, if you don't do co-investments or aren't looking into it, perhaps you should. For PDI, I'm Andrew Headland, and thanks for listening to this installment of Spotlight.